last week we were in Colossians chapter 4 verses 12 and 13. Uh, that was part four of our, uh, like looking at Paul's ministry partners. And uh, we were looking uh, specifically at somebody named Epaphras, uh, who again was one of Paul's ministry partners. And he was also the pastor of the Colossian church, like the main teacher, the pastor of the Colossian church. Uh, he was visiting Paul and, you know, while Paul was in prison and he's kind of updating him on what's been going on. That, that's the whole reason why he was with him. And, um, you know, why Paul even wrote this letter to the uh, Colossians in the first place. So he's telling Paul, you know, the things that are going well. He's telling Paul the things that have, you know, were not going so well, namely like all the false teaching that had been kind of creeping into the church. Um, and so as he's telling Paul that, Paul then writes this letter, of course, right? And so in Epaphras' life, though, we wanted to look at a couple things about him, about his life, about his ministry to see what we could kind of take away for ourselves. And there were three main things that we saw about him. Uh, one, we were looking at Epaphras, the teacher, uh, in Colossians chapter one, verse seven, as Paul is writing to them, you know, he's saying that, uh, you know, Epaphras has taught you the true message of the gospel. And so he's reminding them of this gospel. He's reminding them of what Epaphras has taught them. Uh, and so, uh, he also tells us a little bit about Epaphras, meaning that Epaphras's foundation, uh, his ministry, his life, his teaching, all of that was founded on the true message of the gospel. Uh, and so even though you know, not all of us are in the like, quote unquote, traditional ministry, you know, in the sense like you might be teaching on Sunday or teaching, you know, Bible study or whatever. Um, right. We've been saying that all of us have been called to the ministry that, uh, in one way or another, we are in the ministry. We've been talking about how all of us are called to be wise in the way that we walk towards outsiders, towards those who don't you know, know Christ. All of us, you know, should be more mindful of our conversations that they need to be more seasoned with salt, you know, full of grace. And that all of us need to be able to give reason or give hope for the, or give reason for the hope that lies within us. So we all teach in some way, in some sense. Uh, and so in order to do that though, uh, that means one, we need to be able to know, or we have to know the true message of the gospel. And two, uh, we have to be able to communicate the true message of the gospel. So wherever that is, wherever it is that God has placed us, whether school, work, home, you know, wherever, um, you know, just as Epaphras, his teaching, his ministry was all founded on the true message of the gospel. So it is with us. And wherever it is that God has placed us, we are called to know and to communicate that gospel in some way. Um, and so, yeah, we, we said that about Epaphras the teacher. The second thing we saw about him was Epaphras the man of prayer. That um, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul writes that Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for you. Uh, meaning he's wrestling, he's contending, he's agonizing over you in prayer. And so one, we know that Epaphras was not just the, the, the teacher, he's not just the pastor, but he's also the man of prayer. So he understands where his help comes from. Knowing the gospel, he knows that I can't just do this on my own. It's not by my own strength, not by my own wisdom. You know, I need to pray, right? Because I know where my help comes from. He's putting into practice what Paul said in verse, in chapter four, verse two, uh, to devote yourselves in prayer, being watchful and thankful, right? And so it just says, Paul is encouraging the church to do this, to devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. Epaphras is already putting this into practice. He's devoted himself to prayer. He's being watchful over the church. He's being thankful for the church. Um, you know, he's, he's praying over these things that have been coming into the church, preaching a gospel of, you know, it's, it's uh, Christ plus your works, Christ plus these things. So he has to be watchful. He has to be thankful. He has to be devoted to prayer. And that's exactly what we see him doing. And of course, in the same way, so should we. We ought to be devoted to prayer. Uh, and finally, we saw about him was uh, we were looking at Epaphras, the prisoner or the servant. So uh, in chapter four, verse 12, Paul says, uh, you know, he refers to him as Epaphras, uh, my, um, the servant of Christ. And in the letter to Philemon, he talks about my fellow prisoner, Epaphras. And so um, 
And what we saw here was like, there's, there's a cost, right? There's a cost in following Christ. There's a cost in serving Christ. Uh, this was not out of convenience or ease. And yet they were all, you know, Paul and, you know, uh, some of the other uh, ministry partners that we looked at, Epaphras, they were all willing to pay. They were all willing to pay that cost. And we said that they were will or they were able to do that because before Epaphras was the teacher, before he was the, the pastor, before he was the, the prisoner, the servant, you know, the man of prayer, before he was any of those things, before he carried any of those quote unquote titles, he was Epaphras the son. He was Epaphras the son in Christ. And so knowing the true message of the gospel, he would have known that, you know, for himself, that it is by God's grace that he was called. It is by God's grace that he is alive. It is by God's grace that he was teaching. It is by God's grace that he has saved all of these things. And so because of that, then he's able to serve and to serve well, right? He's able to endure the cost. And so it's, it's by uh, God's grace and by God's strength that uh, Epaphras was able to serve God's call. And so it, this is where, you know, what we've been saying throughout our study, why it's so important to see God rightly. The more I see him for who he really is, right, the more everything else becomes clear. Uh, the more I see Christ for who he is and what it is that he's done for me, the more I see this gospel uh, as something that satisfies me, as something that truly can save me, then the obedience comes, right? Then the the, the serving will come. As we uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, he, says, he talks about the obedience that comes from the faith, right? So then when we're in this faith, when we're in this right relationship with God, the obedience will follow, the serving will follow. The, 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 the answer to the call, uh, you know, whatever it might be, will follow the more we see him for who he really is. And so that was last week. Uh, today, we are looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. And again, continuing at looking at Paul's, uh, Paul's ministry partners. Chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. And it says, Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demis send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Read that one more time. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demis send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. So, uh, again, looking at Paul's ministry partners, what we're hoping to get is what we can learn about ourselves, whether, you know, about church, about ministry, about life, and... Um, uh, specifically here where we're going to see church, whether or church and ministry in the church and church and ministry out of the church, both uh, is what we're going to look at. And so three things we're going to see uh, today. One, that ministry is multifaceted, that it doesn't just look one way. Uh, you know, sometimes we have this kind of like traditional view or traditional sense of what ministry is supposed to be, and that's not the case. Uh, so one, ministry is multifaceted. Two, ministry is sacrificial. And three, ministry is worth it. Multifaceted, sacrificial, three worth it. So, uh, number one, ministry is multifaceted. Uh, Paul, we'll just look at the first person that Paul talks about. Uh, he says in verse 14, our dear friend, Luke, the doctor, uh, the original, uh, the original language in the original Greek, Paul actually writes Luke, the physician, the beloved one. Okay. Luke, the physician, the beloved one. So it's much stronger than, you know, what we have, what we have in English. Uh, and that word beloved is the Greek word 
agapetos, agapetos, uh, which comes from the root word agape. And so if you've ever heard of agape love or God's love being this agape love, this is that word that's, that's there. Um, so that's a word that's used to describe somebody who is deeply, deeply loved. That is a word that you would use um, when you're talking about someone who is very near, very dear to you. Right? And in fact, you'd actually to kind of see like just how powerful that word is. Uh, if you remember Jesus' baptism, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. When he comes out of the water, it says that the heavens opened, that the spirit descends like a dove, and that the father speaks. He says, this is my beloved son. In him, I'm well pleased. That same word, beloved. And so does the father love the son? Of course. Does the father dearly love the son? Is the father, you know, of course, of course he does. And so it's that exact same word that Paul uses here when he's talking about Luke. Uh, and so you can kind of see like the kind of relationship or the kind of, um, the, kind of way, the, the way that Paul feels about this person, Luke. So you can think of this person's character, you know, it's very believed that he's very lovable. His demeanor, his character is just something that, man, Paul loved this guy. Paul loved his character. Paul loved having him around. Paul loved him. Uh, and so that was Luke kind of like, you know, the person or at least the way that Paul feels about him. But professionally speaking, he's a doctor. Uh, he traveled on and off with Paul. And so being one of Paul's travel companions, uh, he saw firsthand just a lot of the hardships that Paul went through. A lot of the things that Paul, you know, had to kind of deal with, uh, um, including physically speaking, like a lot of the physical hardships that Paul went through. When you read through the letters, when you read through uh, the letters that Paul wrote, when you read through the book of Acts, uh, there's a lot of descriptions uh, that talk about the suffering, the real suffering that Paul had to go through. And so Luke, being a physician, believed that Luke was actually treating Paul while they're out on ministry. And so while Paul is going out, that Luke isn't just out there to, uh, to, to serve or to teach or anything like that. In, in that sense, he's also to serve Paul, to help him. Uh, some of the things that Paul describes or that, uh, that, that Luke describes in the book of Acts that Paul uh, had, that Paul may have been dealing with, a lot of people will look at that and then think, okay, what is it that we know of, like, well, you know, based off what we know of medicine now, what is it that Paul had back then? And so a lot of people think that Paul had some kind of chronic eye condition, like a lot of eye pain. A lot of, um, some people thought that he had malaria, epilepsy, a speech disability. Uh, there was a couple times where Paul was beaten uh, almost to the point of death. And so, of course, there's a lot of physical injuries that Paul was dealing with there. Um, in, in one of his letters, he talks about a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, you know, to keep him humble. There's a lot of debate about what that is. But whatever these things were, whatever titles they had or whatever, you know, physical ailments that, that Paul had, uh, it's believed, again, that Paul is being treated by the doctor, Luke. Right? So to kind of ease some of that pain, to kind of ease some of that discomfort that Paul is going through, Luke is treating, Luke is treating Paul. So Luke, the physician, though, is also Luke, the evangelist. So if you've ever heard that title, Luke, the evangelist. So he's the same Luke that wrote the gospel of Luke. He's the same Luke that wrote the, the book, the book of Acts. Actually, you can kind of see the kind of author that Luke is. If you, uh, I'll just read it real quick. Uh, Luke chapter one, verses one through four. This is kind of like Luke's introduction to the book. And he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were first, who first were eyewitnesses and servants of this word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Luke, he's, he's kind of been, uh, he, he's, he's basically putting all these stories together. He's, he's talking to eyewitnesses. He wants to know this, 
story of this gospel for himself. And so he begins to interview, he begins to research, he begins to write, and he's putting this account together for someone named Theophilus. And so he says, I'm going to put all this together. And so you can trust that this research, this, all this stuff that I'm putting together is true. It's good. This is the kind of person Luke is. So he's, he's not just the physician. He's not just somebody of outstanding character. He's a writer. He's a researcher. He's a teacher. All this to say, you know, why, uh, why talk about like these different, you know, facets of him is specifically that because ministry is multifaceted. That it isn't just one specific way. It doesn't just fit like, it's not like a one size fits all kind of thing. You know, whether it's in his character, whether professionally as a doctor, whether in his writing, whether in his research, whether in his teaching, whatever it may be, Luke is using these different gifts that he has for the glory of God to serve others. That's what he's doing. He is using these different gifts, right? They're not, it's not just like one thing that he's going to do and then it's like, or, or it's not just one area of his life that he has said, I will surrender this one area to my life, of my life, to, you know, to the gospel, but these areas of my life are off to limits, right? No, everything that God has given him, everywhere that God has gifted him, anywhere that God has placed him, he's saying, how can I use this to serve Christ? How can I use this to serve the ministry? Your gift is needed. Your gifts are needed. In the church, they're needed. Out of the church, they're needed. Whatever it is that God has gifted you, wherever it is that God has gifted you, and wherever it is that God has placed you, your gifts are needed. Right? Like we can't think that ministry is only, you know, Sunday morning or Wednesday night or something like that. And like, this is the only place where I can serve. And this is the only place where I can, you know, you know do something for the house of God. No, that's not true. Although it's needed. Of course it's needed. Yes, we need teachers. We need worship leaders. We need media. We need people, you know, like we need all these different areas to serve on a Sunday, all these different areas to serve, you know, throughout the church, of course. But this isn't the only place that that's needed. And so wherever it is that God has placed you, wherever it is that God has gifted you, your gifts are needed. That we can't think that ministry, again, is just to be Sunday morning, you know, whatever time, uh, you know, the services, and then that's, that's it. That's not true. That's not true. Um, the gifts, your like Christ-like character, Christ-like wisdom, Christ-like power is needed in the arts. It's needed in the sciences. It's needed in academics. It's needed in medicine. It's needed in politics. It's needed in government, so on and so forth. That's wherever, again, I can't stress this enough, wherever it is that God has placed you, wherever it is you know, that, that God is taking you, your gifts are needed there. That that's to be looked at as ministry. That um, you know, we've been saying that there's no part of our life that the gospel doesn't touch. There's no part of our life that the gospel doesn't affect. There's no part of our life that we're allowed to say, "Okay, Lord, you are Lord and sovereign over these areas of my life, but this area of my life, off limits." And there's no part of that. You know, we've been talking about um, when we were talking uh, back in uh, Colossians chapter three. Uh, you know, what it means to be, you know, uh, to, to have like a theology of work, you know, like how God was bringing order out of chaos and so on and so forth, if you remember back then. And uh, we were asking the question, like, for example, like, what does it mean to be a Christian pilot? It means land the plane, right? Like, do the job well. You know, like, there are going to be times, if you can, min you know, uh, minister to others there, if you can spread the word, of course, like I said, we're like, we are all called to know the gospel and all called to communicate the gospel well. What's one way, one very effective way to communicate the gospel well, you know, in the workplace? Do the job. Do it well. 
what's one uh, like as a student do it well like that everywhere we go that we need to look at that place as ministry we need to look at work we need to look at school we need to look at home we need to look at like these this is all ministry that now my life is to reflect christ my life is to reflect the gospel my life is to reflect him my life is to glorify him that's the purpose that's the reason so again wherever it is that god has placed you that that is ministry that's the place where we're to minister and your gifts are needed there um you know jesus was saying at the end of matthew chapter 9 he says you know the harvest is plenty but the laborers are few which is so true it's very very true the harvest is plenty but the laborers are few and so don't run from ministry wherever it is like there's again that i we we cannot afford to think that ministry is just this building and so when we shy away from the gospel, when we shy away from, you know, where God has placed us, that's shying away from the ministry. This is, that's, this is, you know, Jesus was onto something when he said the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. Because we're not thinking outside of the church. We think that this is the only place where we minister to one another. That, no. The harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. The harvest is plenty out there. And so if we, if we begin to look at our school, at our workplace and say, okay, Lord, like, how is it that people can see you in me or hear you in me? Like, like, what's one little thing that I can do, Lord? What's, what's, you know, a few little things that I can do that where you really begin to be reflected in my character, in my work, in my speech, et cetera, et cetera. So Luke served with his life both professionally and personally, and of course, that we ought to do the same. Uh, number two, ministry is sacrificial. Uh, notice in verse, okay, so verse 17, uh, Paul is talking about this man named Archippus. Uh, Archippus is, he's one of the leaders in the Colossian church. And when you read, again, the letter to Philemon, it, uh, it's possible that he's actually the son of Philemon. Uh, so Philemon being the guy whose house that they were using to to meet uh, as the church of Colossae, uh, to believe that he was uh, his son. And of course, like one of the teachers, one of the pastors, one of the pastors there. And Paul is encouraging him, see to it that you complete the ministry. He says, see to it, uh, meaning, you know, to be observant, be watchful, All right? Remember one of the issues that was happening was, again, these false teachings that were coming into the church. You know, it's that your salvation is not just the work of Christ, but it's supposed to be Christ plus something else, or Christ plus your visions, Christ plus your works, Christ plus, you know, whatever. Uh, and so there was these false teachings that are creeping in. And so Paul said, hey, you know, be observant, be watchful, be mindful, you know, um, keep going, keep teaching, complete the ministry in full. Don't stop short of what it is that the Lord has called you to do. And so this is what, you know, Paul is kind of encouraging, encouraging him to do. And now when you compare that to this man, Damas, he doesn't say much about Damas here. You know, he talks about Luke, the beloved Luke, you know, my, my dear friend, Luke, this and Damas, they send you greetings. And there might be reason for that. When you look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Damas, uh, for Damas because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Uh, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So he says, Do your best, as he's speaking to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly, for Damas because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Right? Second Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote. 
So while he's in jail, while he's in his final imprisonment, he's, you know, he, he knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to be executed any day now. He, he just doesn't know exactly when. He knows his day, you know, his time is coming. This is the last letter that he wrote. And Damus, being one of his ministry partners, seems as if he deserted him during that time. So he also has a firsthand, you know, eyewitness account of like, ministry is hard. The life with Paul is very difficult. And so he deserts him. He says, for the, Paul writes, for, because he loved this world, he did. He said, I'm out. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it's believed that he either deserts the ministry in hopes of kind of like living a quiet life in the sense of like, yeah, I'll be a Christian. Like, Lord, I will serve you. Lord, I will love you. But just to myself, right? I'm just going to do this quietly. Like in my heart, you know what's going on in my heart. Like I will love you, but I'm done with this whole serving thing. That's either one, that's either one reason that he left him or, uh, you know, he deserts him not, he deserts not just the ministry, but the faith as well. He just says, um, for you like, so we don't know exactly what it is. We don't know when he says like for the love of ministry or for the, excuse me, for the love of this world that he, that he deserted them. Um, we don't know exactly what, but what we do know is that he's chosen comfort. He's chosen comfort. He's chosen that. And he says, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Now that doesn't mean if you're not being arrested, if you're not being beaten, if you're not being executed for your faith, that like you're not serving. You know, that you're not doing, that you're not doing ministry. Um, but there is a cost. Uh, we do have to know that, that, yeah. And when I say ministry, I'm not just talking about like serve again, serving in the traditional sense, as we've said, ministry is multifaceted. When I say ministry, I'm talking about your whole life because your whole life is to be dedicated to the gospel. Your whole life is to be dedicated to Christ. And so everything and everyone, it's ministry. It's all ministry. And so, um, there is a cost. Where, you know, whenever we begin, whenever we begin to pray, Lord, you know, just as Jesus taught his disciples, he says, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a cost. There's a cost to say, Lord, I want your name, let, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be the one that's respected and feared and loved and cherished and glorified and so on and so forth. Let your name be the one that's, that, that, that people fall in love with here, not mine. That's the cost. When we begin to pray, like, Lord, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be the one that people see. When people see me and hear me and, 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 and encounter me, let them see and hear and encounter you. That's a cost to say, Lord, it's not about me anymore. It's about you. There's a cost to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Because you're acknowledging, yeah, I'm not the king. It's not about me anymore. It's, it's not about my will anymore. Lord, it's about yours. So there's a very real cost to ministry, there's a very real cost to doing life with Christ. Because now you're, you're beginning to recognize, yeah, it's not about me anymore. I'm not the one, you know, I'm not in charge anymore. It's all about you. You're the king. You're the one that I love. Like, you're the one that I'm following. You're the one that I want to serve. You're the one that I want, right? It's not about me anymore. So there's a very real cost. Like, we can't think that, you know, uh, or assume that, again, that ministry is always going to be, or life with Christ is always going to be this, uh, it's always easy. It's always out of convenience. It's always out of the, no. When we really think about it, there is a very real cost to say, Lord, it's really not about me. Right. If we if we would take you know just a few minutes to think about that, like we would we would see, I think, just how selfish we really are. If we would stop to think of like how much we think about ourselves, how much you know we do everything for ourselves, how much you know everything is for the benefit of us. 
And then when you begin to take those thoughts and say, but Lord, your way is better than mine. Your thoughts are better than mine. Your kingdom, your will, your name, so on and so forth. The more you begin to see like how our thoughts and our ways and our will are in clash with his. So there's a very real cost to say, like, I see the clash. I'm experiencing that. Like, and there's some tension there. And yet to say, Lord, I will choose your way. Lord, I will submit to your way. That's cost. So we can't, you know, we have to assume or we have to know that this life with Christ, this ministry is sacrificial. It isn't always easy. It isn't always out of convenience. It is costly in many ways. But finally, even though it is costly, number three, ministry is worth it. It is always worth it. To be, to be called by Christ, to be chosen by him, to know him and to be known by him, to, to love him and to be loved by him, to see him more uh, and to see more of your life pointing to him, to glorify him, there is no greater joy. There is none. Though it may cost you everything, there is no greater joy. This is, it's, it's worth it because, you know, we always hear that like, this life with Christ will cost you nothing in the sense of like, I did nothing to earn this. I did nothing to, to, to gain his love. I did nothing to gain his favor. I did nothing to, to, to gain the sacrifice that he made for. I did nothing. So it will cost me nothing. And yet at the same time, it will cost me everything. And it is absolutely worth it. It's a joy. Like it, it is, I get it. That's not even fair to say. Like what, like what a joy it is to know why you exist. What a joy it is to know why you exist. There's, I don't, I don't know who said the quote first, but somebody said the two most important days in somebody's life are these one, the day you were born and two, the day you find out why. Those are the two most important days in your life. The moment you begin to find out why you are here, the minute you begin to find out why, like who this God is, why it is that he created you, and the fact that he created you was so that you would glorify him. The moment you find that out, the moment that becomes clear to you, what a joy that is to know this is why I exist to glorify you. The reason why I, I don't feel that satisfaction is because I've been living for everyone and, every, and, and I've been living for myself. I've been living for the wrong thing. But when I begin to find out that I exist literally to glorify him, I was made in his image. I, I, I exist to reflect that image. There's no greater joy. There's no greater joy in, in getting to know him and to make him known. There's no greater joy in knowing that he, that, like the one that you're getting to know, he is the one who loves you more than anyone else. He is the one who is closer to you than anyone else. He is the one who thought it worth it, who thought in his ministry, thought it worth it to die for you. His ministry, the, the cost for his ministry was to die for you. And now I get to know that person. I get to know him and make him know. There's no greater joy in that. Yes, it's true that ministry is absolutely worth it if for nothing else it's absolutely worth it because you get to know this god who created you get to know this god who knew you before your parents knew each other you get to know this god who is like 
beyond time. He was so big and so great. And so like you get to know him personally. But beyond that, I mean, if we're talking about the cost of ministry, mm-hmm. Jesus has seen the cost that you've paid. Every sacrifice you've ever made, every little sacrifice you've ever made. There's a story of, you know, all these people who are bringing in their, their, uh, their money into the temple. Right, they're making all these big donations, and some people who are rich are making these large, large donations into the into the temple. Jesus saw it, but then he sees this one, this one woman, this very poor widow, come in with two small little copper coins, nothing. And I love that it said that Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it, and he says, like, and he takes his disciples, and he says, "I want you to notice that. You see what she gave? She gave out of her life. She gave everything. She sacrificed, and Jesus saw that." So there's no sacrifice. There's no, there's nothing that you haven't paid. There's nothing that you have said, Lord, let it be about you and not me. There's no moment where you've ever done that and he didn't see it. Never. Yes, it's true that Jesus will take care of you. If you decide to say, Lord, uh, whatever the cost, whatever you like, wherever you send me or whatever you say to do, whatever, like if you say, go here and do this and do that, whatever, whatever that is, Lord, it's true that Jesus will take care of you. Peter says in, in Mark chapter 10, after speaking to the to the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler, he hears, you know, what Jesus has to say, and he walks away sad because he's like, Man, I have so much stuff, I have so much money, I don't know if I can really get rid of all these things to follow you, Jesus. And so he walks away sad. And then uh, Peter comes up and he's like, You know, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. He's like, don't forget, Jesus, we're like, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, Yeah, Peter, there is persecution that's coming. I promise you that. There is persecution coming. But he also says, Truly, I tell you, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel. No one who has done that will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and eternal life in the age to come. Jesus will take care of you. But if for no other reason, he sees the, if he, if, if, if he didn't see all the sacrifices, which is crazy, uh, I'm speaking like, like Paul says in one of his letters, I'm speaking like a madman for a moment. Like, so let me speak like that for just a sake. Even if he didn't see all the sacrifices, even if he didn't take care of you, again, that's completely crazy to think or to say. You still get to know him. If there was no other reason that ministry was worth, you get to know him. To know him personally. To have a God like that guide you. To have a God like that walking with you. To have someone like that who loves you more than anyone and anything could ever love you. Who has the best for you. He's guiding you. He's walking with you. Ministry is worth. Whatever it is he has called you to do, stop running from it. Do it. Wherever it is that God has called you to go, wherever it is that God has called you to serve, do it. Knowing that it's worth it. It is worth it to surrender everything to him. It is worth it to say, Lord, your kingdom, your will. And he will show you that. He will absolutely show you that. There's a... Um, then we'll spend just a few minutes in prayer, but before we do, I had... I remember when I first got saved, I, I had like, you know, one specific view of how my life was going to go. And, you know, I used to love, oh, I still do, but, uh, you know, I was really, really into the story of Daniel, you know, Daniel and Joseph, but mainly, mainly Daniel. And, 
Daniel is somebody who God was using, you know, you know, outside of the church, so to speak. Right? Like he's he's out there working in government. He's out there, you know, in front of the kings and you know, very powerful people in front of the kings and queens. You know, where and again, God is using him, speaking to him and through him uh, to make God known. And as he's doing that, you know, Daniel was also known to be somebody who was, you know, very diligent in his work. He was, you know, there was nothing about his work that like, you know, people could find any error in it. And so like, as they saw, they just saw like someone who was not only in his work, excellent, but in his relationship with the Lord. And he was just, he loved God, God loved him and he's making God know. And I always thought that's, that's exactly how God is going to use me. God, you're going to, I don't know exactly where or how, but I know it's going to be out there. Yeah, I'll be in the church, obviously, and, and I'll serve from time to time, or if I'll teach if I have to, so on and so forth, but cool, cool, cool. But my life, I know for a fact, in my head, this is what I'm thinking, I know for a fact, God, it's going to be out there. You're going to be, it's going to be out there. Meanwhile, uh, one of my pastors at the time, he saw something in me that I didn't see quite yet. And so he's not calling me Daniel. He used to call me Jonah all the time. It's like, why are you running, Jonah? Why are you running? Because he knew there was something, there was something like I'm supposed to be in the church more than I am out of the church. I didn't know that at the time. And yet in my view, I was like, no, 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 Lord, that's, that's not for me. That's, that's for somebody else. You are going to use me out there. That's, you're going to, I'm going to get the promotions out there and not for my glory, but for yours. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be in front of all these people out there, not for my glory, but for yours. You're going to use me. Like those people need to hear about you too. And so that's exactly how you're going to use me. And so I saw that's exactly how I saw my life. And yet slowly but surely, as I began to say, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Let your name be hallowed, not mine. And the more I began to see it, the more I began to like, this is where I am now. And I would never change any part of this for anything else. Like the, the story that I had in my mind, the story that I wrote for myself compared to the one that the Lord has for me, I can't compare the two. When I tell you it is absolutely worth it, whether in the church or out, wherever it is that God has placed you, it is absolutely worth it to say yes to him. I don't have any other words. This is, it's absolutely worth it to do it. And so where, again, wherever it is that God has called you, wherever it is, you know, that whatever that, that might be in you, that like, I, I, this is where God is kind of pulling me towards. This is what God is taking me towards. This is what God is calling me to do. This is where God is placing me. So on and so forth. Wherever it is, go. Whatever it is, do it. Say yes to him. Say yes to the one who has already ultimately served you. Who has already ultimately, he washed your feet. He died for your sins. The king of kings gave himself low for you. And when you begin to see his love and his plan and his, his sacrifice already that he's already done for you, I'm sure the rest of the story that he has for you, it's, it's good. Mm-hmm.